Well, have you noticed anything different in your worship experience? I am amazed at how much I am noticing even as we are going through this. Interestingly, um, and I don't know how the other four people on the front pews are doing or how past, I actually feel more nervous. Like I, you know, in a good Presbyterian church, you should be at least 20 feet from me. (laughs) And now you're all around. (laughs) I'm surrounded by Presbyterians. But I also notice simple things. I have my glasses here. They're making an appearance because the lighting is slightly different and my eyes are slightly different too. I'm just going to blame it on the lighting. Um, I also notice that you're really good at singing. I hear the singing more right here. And it's amazing you know, there's, there's the differences, and so what I, uh, what I was considering talking about is thinking about, all right, what's our Sunday best? That was, a, that was a, uh, a phrase that I grew up with, you know, put on your Sunday best. And what was that? Think about what that might have been like as you were growing up, or if you've never heard the phrase, turn to someone who is over 30 years old and, and ask them what that means. What is Sunday best? You know, it, it's changed over time. There is a time. Now, when I started as a pastor, I started out preaching in my robes every week. And now my robes have become bad church members. They show up on Christmas and Easter weddings and funerals. It's changed over time. There are some people, and perhaps even right here, are still trying to get over the fact that I am not wearing a tie and there's communion here. Sunday best has changed over, its t- over time. You know, at its best, Sunday best was that our desire that we should bring our best to God into, into worship. We should bring the best of what we have to our experience of God. But we have to be careful about that, don't we? Because that can turn into a legalism. That can turn into a... a, a, a rigid rule. It can become a self-centered show, a works righteousness, a parade after all, perhaps. And after all, what do we have? What do we really have that can impress God? What is it that you and I have that that would impress a perfectly holy and righteous God? Well, when you put it that way, boy, I feel like I'm thoroughly underdressed. But when we come here, when we worship, when we are in the presence of God, what is it that God wants? It's us. He wants us. We have been talking about worship over the past, this is now the third week in our, in our series, uh, expanding Christ's community through discipleship, worship, and relationship. Those three are going to get mixed and mingled. But we are talking about the worship aspect of our mission. And we talked, we're talking in ease through worship. So we talked about that worship is to exalt God, that worship edifies the people of God last week. 
And then this week, as, as Pastor Dina let us know, we're talking about the fact that worship is to engage the people of God. And, and very simply, uh, worship engages the whole being. Very simple. Worship engages the whole being. Now, we're going to take a look at that through a story of David in 2 Samuel. So you can see on the screens, 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 22. We're going to be there. So if you want to uh, turn, open your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel, I'm going to give you another obvious one. 2 Samuel, conveniently located after 1 Samuel. It's located before 1 Kings. So we're in the Old Testament section of your Bible. And let me, uh, yeah, I know, uh, three years of seminary and you get this, plus the doctoral stuff and you get the, the, the master of the obvious. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're in verses 14 through 22. Now, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, from another place in Israel, or Canaan, and he is trying to bring it up. He's tried once already, and that didn't go so well, but he's trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, up into um, Jerusalem, which is his political capital. So he wants to make it the religious capital as well. So hear the word of the Lord as I share it with you. Wearing a linen ephod... David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. If you remember, Saul is the prior king of Israel. Note that. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his house, Hold, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, huh, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, and any, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the word, for your word, for this story about David and how we can learn about worship through him. We give you thanks for his example. Teach us in our hearts so that we can worship more fully, 
so that we can exalt you more fully, so we can edify one another more fully and engage our whole being. Lord, strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, we're going to take a look at the two major characters in this story now. We're going to take a look, first of all, at King David. David is kind of the, the, the paramount of, of worship in the Bible. He is the paragon, excuse me, that's, that would be the better term. He is the paragon of worship in the Bible. He wrote so many psalms. He, he worshiped God before he was king of Israel. He practiced it, practiced it. And he is an example of giving himself entirely over to the worship of God. And what are things that we notice? Well, I'm going to suggest that there are three things that we can notice about engaging our whole being from David. Now, first of all, if we are a good traditional Presbyterian church, the first thing that we noticed made us really, really, really uncomfortable. He danced. Presbyterians, you know, we are, we are not Pentecostals. We're not even mildly Pentecostals. We're not hold the TV people. These are different forms of people, you know, praising God. Uses their body. It's, it, never mind. But we noticed the dancing at first. And perhaps we noticed not just the fact that, that David was dancing, but David was dancing before the Lord with all all his might. When Michal saw David, he was leaping and dancing. The, the word there for dancing really denotes a lot of twirling and, and leaping. It is not, you know, it's not the chicken dance. It is not, you know, the electric slide. This is, this is his entire being. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. You know, we, we, we are a people conflicted because, you know, emotion is very highly valued in our society, but we also exist in a tradition that is very, very skeptical of it. This is why we send pastors off to seminary to teach them Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology for three years so that all emotion is totally beat out of us. By the end of it, there is usually only one, one emotion that's left after you have had a long day of Greek or Hebrew, and it is not joy. <laughs> but we are a, a tradition, the Reformed tradition has highly valued education. That is why, in part, if you look at my robes, and if you look at Pastor Dina's robes, our robes look suspiciously like academic robes, because they are. They denote our academic achievement. They denote, in some way, that we are ordained in doctors of the church. They denote our, our, our rank, a little bit differently than the rest of academia, as, as Diane would be able to, to point out the differences. 
but they, we have valued education and we want a good exposition of the Scriptures. We want to know, give me the facts, just the facts. But here's the thing, as we look at David, we get nervous because David, oh, that's, that is not dignified, that is not decent and in order, that's a Presbyterian buzz phrase that, uh, that we should look at alongside of, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, because we take it just as much out of context. I am not playing in the NBA because of Philippians 4.13. But David integrates his entire being. He integrates his physical being. He integrates his, his body. He in, integrates his emotion. He is dancing before the Lord with all his might. He is engaging his entire being to worship the Lord, the God, all, uh, the God of the universe. Not because he thinks it's impressive, but because he thinks God deserves it. Because God deserves everything that David has. He gives his entire physical and emotional self over to the worship of God. And that can scare us. That can make us nervous. That can, ooh, what are people around me thinking? And what are, what's going on? And so, but David integrates his physical, his emotional, and yes, then his spiritual being as well. He comes as a fully integrated human being before the throne of God and before the people of God. So we notice the dancing and we, it instructs us about how we can bring our full self but then perhaps you are like me and you like to notice kind of the strange things. And right at the beginning, it says that, that David was wearing a linen ephod. And if you're like me, as I was growing up, I'd be like, oh, well, if this is King David and there's a huge parade and so on, this must be a, you know, this must have been pretty spectacular. As I looked up uh, ephod, because I, I know what an ephod was, but I wanted to get a little more detail and I didn't get it. Uh, Yale Bible Dictionary, the closest thing it gave me was it was a priestly apron. It's an apron. It's a plain white linen garment that just straps around him. He had removed from himself all of the trappings of being king. He had taken off all the symbols of his kingly rule. He was selected by God to rule over the people of God. He had the wealth of the people of God. He had all, everything. That, and what did he bring? He brought his full self and he left his status behind. He didn't dress himself up. He dropped the symbols of kingship and he put on the symbol of a priest before God. The only people who could go and minister before God were the priests. And David put on that symbol that he could approach God and dance before the Lord. And so we notice the linen ephod and we notice that it means that David is not bringing his worldly status. As much as he is bringing his physical self and his emotional self and his spiritual self, he is not bringing his worldly self. 
He is not bringing the self that has status, the self that deserves something, the self that says, this is my right. But the self that humbles himself before God Almighty. The third thing we might notice if we are paying attention is we might notice the generosity of David. Did you catch the the generosity of David? After he has danced before the Lord, after he has danced with all his might before the Lord, after he has given all he can, he goes and he sacrifices to God and then he blesses the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Verse 18. And he blesses them, and then he gives them a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person, both men and women. And now we might say, listen, you're a king. You can afford a little bit more than a cake of dates, a cake of raisins, and a loaf of bread. Come on. But that was actually a fantastically generous gift. Everyone there, he was was Oprah before Oprah was Oprah. Oprah. And you get a loaf of bread, and you get a loaf of bread, and you get a loaf of bread. But he gives to each of them. And a cake of raisins, in particular, was a highly nutritious, it was compacted grapes put together. And it was highly nutritious, a lot of energy in that. And so it was highly valued. And so David gives to people as a part of his worship of God. And so he has brought his physical self, he has brought his emotional self, he's brought his spiritual self, and now he's brought his resources to bear. He didn't bring his status, but he brought his resources to bear in the worship of God and the reflection of God's nature. And so we notice his generosity, we notice the dancing, we notice the linen ephod, and we notice the, the, the generosity. And so we are left with the question then, what are we withholding from God? David has brought everything. What are we withholding? Are we withholding our physical self? Are, are we holding back when we feel like the, the worship is just welling up in us, when we feel like there is something more, when they, we feel like there is, there, we want to give more and we don't know how, are we withholding our emotional self? Are we withholding part of our mind, part of our emotions? Are we coming in the door and saying, you know, worship of God is... I will sometimes walk out into the office, and Pastor Dina and Kimmy know this, and I will sometimes walk out, and I will say, there is no laughing in here. This is a respectable church. We joke, but, but sometimes we withhold those things. We say, because, well, that's not respectable. David wasn't respectable. In fact, he says, I, I'm going to even undignify myself even further for the worship of God, because what can I bring? I'll bring more. Do we withhold our resources from the worship of God? That's a painful one. That's a painful one, because I worked hard for it, and well, I've got got my car payment, and I've got my house payment, and I've got kids to think about, and I've got... um, 
you know, all sorts of things going on, and, and well, thankfully, we just got a contract uh, in the school district, but man, what if things go sideways, and do we withhold our resources from God? I once heard a pastor say, I have never visited a nursing home and ever heard someone once say, you know, I really regret giving to God. Not once had he ever encountered that. Is it attention? Is it attention to God that, that we have been withholding when, when we want the, the attention desperately upon ourselves? Is, is the issue control? Are we afraid to let go? Are we afraid to give over to God and allow Him to sit on the throne of the universe? There's a second character here that we need to talk about. We need to talk about McCall. Noted that she was the uh, daughter of King Saul, who David was appointed king while Saul was still on the throne. That gets a little awkward. Um, and Michal was Saul's youngest daughter. And as you might imagine, if you marry the prior king who you depose daughter, there might be some, some marriage. We might have like some marital therapy that we would want them to work through before getting married. They actually do have a good marriage at first, and then it goes sour, and you can see it gets kind of complicated here towards the end. This is the last time McCall appears in Scripture, actually. And you can see that in uh, verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, McCall, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. McCall focused on David's lack of dignity. Oh, look at what he is doing in front of those slave girls. Vulgar, he's... uh, just wearing an, an ephod and ugh. And she calls him out on him, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. If you're reading an inference into that, you're correct. I'll just leave it there. But here's the thing. McCall has expectations of David and of God that are not being met. She has expectations that are not being met. David has found that the Lord has met all of his expectations even before he was king over Israel. The Lord had met David's expectations while he was out tending animals, while he was out tending sheep, while he was out fighting the lions off and so on and so forth. The Lord met his expectations. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. David had found his satisfaction in God, but McCall is not satisfied and she is not looking to the Lord to be satisfied. We don't know what she is looking for, but what we find is that her criticism of David is a pretense of her unmet expectations. And this is the why behind the what. The what is her her calling out of David. It is her 
her letting him have it. It is her, you are undignified. You are not a king of Israel. I will, sh- I will tell you, I grew up with the king of Israel. You are not one. That's the what. The why is her unmet expectations. And I say this because we can talk about what we are withholding from God. We can talk about the physical, the emotional, the resources. We can talk about control. We can talk about attention. But we need to talk about the why as well. Why are we withholding from God? Is it because we don't want to be made to look a fool? Is it because we are not really sure about God's goodness or even God's existence? Are we still suffering from prior pain that we have not allowed God to heal? Has there been a hurt in our lives that, that, that relationally we just can't get over and so we cannot fully trust anyone? We can't fully trust God because I don't know if you are going to help me, God, because the last, or if you're going to hurt me because the last person did. I'm not sure about your faithfulness. I'm not sure about your gentleness. I'm not sure about your care for me. Perhaps it is scarcity. Perhaps we are afraid that we don't have enough. Remember what that one's like. Some of you, I may have mentioned that my dad died when I was six. Mom was not employed at that time. Scarcity is a very real issue and we can say, do I have enough? Am I going to make it? What if this happens? What if the worst comes to pass? Will I be able to make it work? And I don't know if I can trust you to to provide for that God, but I know that if I work hard, if I keep things tight in my hands, that I will make it work. Why are we withholding from God? Worship engages our whole being, but it drops our whole pretense as well. As we consider this and as we consider how we are a worshiping community, as we are a community that centers around this foundational act, the self-giving Son laying down his life on our behalf, laying it all down, emptying himself of all glory, of all honor, of all power, so that he could take on our flesh and take our place and give himself over to our death. We can consider how we are going to engage as a worshiping community. What are we withholding from God? Why are we withholding it? Because worship engages the whole being. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for David as an example to us. Left to our own devices, we would, we would go the opposite way. Our worship would become so rigid and so dignified that it wouldn't give honor and glory to you. 
Thank you for his example. Help us to learn from it, to, to engage with our whole being, to worship with our whole being, and to lift your name above all other names. We give you thanks. We ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to apply that to our lives. Go into even the deep recesses where, of our lives where we are afraid to go and let your Holy Spirit shine your light. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.